BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Should I do one, two, three, or three, two, one? I'll let you call. You're embarrassing us. Three, two, one. That's how the radio (laughs) pros do it. (laughs) Sorry, man. We're all professionals here, Constantine. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. So I got a uh, phone call from my son-in-law, Brian, the other day. What up, Brian? I see you. And he said, Ben, you absolutely positively have to get my man, Constantine Anthony, on the show. Uh, he was a uh, organizer in the state of California, an Uber driver, and now he's a councilman in, uh, in Burbank. And he knows a lot about organizing gig employees. And I said, Brian, Whatever you say, I do. So without further ado, Constantine Anthony, welcome to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you having me. And I know you got a, a great listening audience. And so I hope I do you proud and I'm not a terrible guest. <laughs> oh, God, the, the stakes are really high for Constantine. Um, all right. A little bit of an introduction. Uh, you live in California, but the issues we're about to discuss are important for people in Chicago. So Chicagoans, don't just quit because you hear some guy from California, right? This applies to you, too. Um, so why don't yeah, you talk? Hey dude, we're just uh, we're hanging 10 out in California. <laughs> Constantine, somehow or other, I don't think you're a big surfer. I don't know. It could be, I could be wrong. <laughs> I am not. I'm not. I've, done, I've been surfing once. All right. So I've never served in my life. So tell, first of all, just a brief introduction. It's just such a, it's so incongruous to think you were um, organizing uh, Uber drivers and Lyft drivers. And now you're a councilman in uh, Burbank. We would call them aldermen in Chicago. So talk a little bit about how you got involved in politics and then we'll get into the issue of gig uh, economy workers. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I've been an Uber driver for about five and a half years and, uh, you know, I, I met your son-in-law, uh, he, uh, uh, is an organizer with SEIU 721 here in, um, LA. And one of the issues that we, he was working on at the time and something I had been dealing with, uh, you know, over a year as a driver was the idea of collectively organizing and bargaining and creating a union for app, app-based drivers, um, you know, the taxi union was huge and powerful in LA for many years and Uber and Lyft basically came along and, you know, pulled the rug out from under them and destroyed that entire uh, enterprise. I mean, you barely can see it a taxi anywhere in the streets of Los Angeles uh, these days. Um, but what went away with that, uh, you know, the ease of use and the, the, the accessibility on your phone, sure, that all came with it. But what happened was because it was a new company, there were no bargaining agreements. There were no labor laws in place. And so anytime you get these new companies come in, they think they're going to be the new, new thing that destroys the unions. Like they always think they're the next company that's going to figure out a way to get around collective bargaining. And, you know, companies have been doing this for hundreds of years. Uh, uh, The railroads tried it, you know, uh, the fossil fuel industry tried it. The automobile industry tried it. And every time people rise up, working class people say, hey, look, you're just not paying me enough to do the job you want me to do. 
That is the basic argument happening at every job around the world. And so at the end of the day, what happens is the drivers, the workers, they get together, they start talking to each other and they say, okay, how do we push back? And so that's the work I did uh, with SCIU 721. And there was a bunch of other people also working on it at the same time, not just um, Uber and Lyft drivers, but like UFCW was working with uh, a grocery store uh, drivers. So like most union grocery stores have their own delivery people who, you know, they get a union wage and they got good benefits, but now these other app companies are doing deliveries instead. And so the, the grocery store chains are now firing their, their employees and they're just going to the app based. And then like restaurants who had, you know, full-time delivery people, like, you know, pizza delivery guy was a known job for decades. Like, that's the job you did if you wanted flexibility and you got want a good pay. That job doesn't exist anymore. It's low-waged, less than minimum-waged uh, uh, drivers picking up these pizza orders from all over all over Tarnation and back, and and you know tearing up the roads and, and bridges and trying to get to their destination fast as possible and breaking the law and all that stuff. And it's it's all it's all tied together. And so they were all pushing for it. A bunch of us were pushing for it. And two years ago, or a year and a half ago. We got uh, AB5 passed, um, which was a labor law in the state of California, Assembly Bill 5. And it basically took this uh, California State Supreme Court decision, this Dynamex decision. It was a trucking company that didn't want to pay its guys, you know, as employees. They said, oh, no, no, the truckers, they own their own trucks. So they're independent contractors, even though we tell them where to go, what to do, what to haul, how to act. We, we you know constrain every single bit of their job, including their pay and their benefits, blah, blah, blah. Oh, but they're independent contractors. That was their argument. So the state Supreme court said, no, absolutely not. They're not independent contractors. You have to be, uh, uh, you have to pay them as employees. And they created what's called the ABC test. Meaning anytime you're an employee in the state of California, um, you are an employee, uh, a, a regular employee, unless the company can prove otherwise before then, you know, it was the wild west. You show up to a job and your employer can just say, oh no, you're an independent contractor the moment you walk through the door and you didn't have any recourse. So now what California did with that AB5 law was take that, that court ruling and put it into an actual contractual law saying, look, every single employee, every single worker is considered an employee on day one unless you, the company, prove otherwise. Unfortunately, a couple months ago, these big companies, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, they put in millions and millions of dollars. I think it was like $200 million to put a law on the books and get people to vote for it. I mean, it was just a notoriously deceptive campaign. It was called Prop 22. A lot of people may have heard about it. Um, a proposition is a law that goes on the California state ballot and anybody can vote for it and anybody can campaign for or against it. And they just dumped so much freaking money at this thing. I mean, it was outspent nine to one against the opposition. And so they were able to pass prop 22, which basically undoes a lot of the protections that AB five put into place. What, what specifically did proposition uh, 22 say? Well, okay. So here was the deceptive part. They came out with this thing saying, Hey, we're going to guarantee a minimum wage and a healthcare stipend for all of our drivers, including background checks for safety and all of the, which is a joke because people were already making minimum wage driving. The problem is 
When you drive your own car, you pay for the gas, you pay for the maintenance, you pay for the upkeep. So we weren't making minimum wage. We're making less than that. In any other job, if you were a regular employee, you would either get a company car or you would get a stipend or you'd get a mileage reimbursement. Like there are are laws on the books that say, you know, if I use my own stuff, I get reimbursement from the company because you can't pay me less than minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So what they did in their wording was say, oh, no, no, we're going to guarantee a minimum wage, but they're going to get rid of all those other benefits and protections. No workman's comp, no disability insurance, no social security, no pension, no benefit, none of that extra stuff. Here's just some cash and you're done. It's like, you know, uh, uh, picking up a bunch of guys at Home Depot, they use their own truck, their own labor, and you pay them minimum wage on cash. There's no other benefits. There's no protections. And that's basically what Prop 22 did, but they were able to sell it in a way that looked good. And just, it, it, it was such a, it was such a horrendous campaign. All right, uh, can I see now one of the uh, challenges uh, that uh, people who are in uh, the economy face and then union organizers face is you have to win this public relations battle. So what sort of general themes did the other side successfully champion in order to win over the votes of literally thousands of Californians. Yeah. One of the things they really kept pushing was this independence, this flexibility. They said, you can work whenever you want at any time. And if you don't pass prop 22, they're saying like, okay, here's the law that's going to protect that independence and, 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 and flexibility. If it doesn't pass, you're going to have to go right back to, all the jobs you had before nine to five Monday through Friday, punch in a clock, punch out a clock. That was the argument they made and people bought into that. And I, I tried really hard to teach people that the idea of flexibility, the idea of that independence in your workplace, that's something the workers demand and push for. The only reason Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and all those guys even created these apps and were successful is because the workers were already asking for that flexibility. If they took that flexibility away, nobody's going to work on those platforms anyways. (laughs) Labor laws are not, right? This is the way of the new normal for all employment, not just gig economy. I mean, if you look at even the way banks operate now, like everyone always sees like banks, that's like the, 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 the standard that everyone applies uh, workplace uh, jobs for banks used to be, you know, nine to five Monday through Friday. And that's it. Banks don't do that anymore. They're open Saturdays. They're open till six. Some are open at eight. They stagger their, their workforce. People work late. People take two days off and three days off and then work six in a row. Even the financial sector, which we all regard as the most strict work hours, is still seeing flexibility increase over the last 30 years. The, the new, new workforce is 24-7 because that's where people are demanding, that not just the workers, but the consumers. The consumers are asking for later hours. They're asking for late night hours, you know? Taco Bell is open till 2 in the morning. I mean... <laughs> there's always going to be a job. There's no way. And here's the thing. The moment I actually explain that to people, I say, do you actually think they could make all drivers work nine to five Monday through Friday? Who would drive on the weekends? Who would drive late at night? That's, that's not where the market is. 
So it was a joke from the beginning, and it was a it, it, it was this weird thing where they tied the changing marketplace to the very existence of their app. And unfortunately, you know, we uh, before we went live, we were talking about uh, brand name recognition. You know, Coke and Band Aid and cleaning. We call everything a Zoom now. Zoom this and Zoom that. Even though we're using different apps, Uber really, really pushed the name of their product as the catch-all for everything that we do flexibility-wise in the gig economy. I mean, how many times have you heard it's the Uber of blank, right? Mm -hmm. So they really cornered that market. And one of the things we really have to fight against is tying that word Uber to bad business practices. I mean, look at what's happening with Amazon. The name Amazon is now notoriously tied to treating your workers like crap, late packages, you know, bad customer service. So, you know, all of these things need to happen and, and the public is getting there. And honestly, the, it comes from the workers, you know, as we're, as we're driving and we got passengers in the back, people ask me all the time, like, so how do you, what do you like better Uber or Lyft? And I say, Oh, you know, the, you know, the job is, is, is great. Cause I get to hang out with you, but man, the companies suck. So it's like, that conversation has to happen. Um, uh, you better watch it. One of those, one of those uh, passengers will write you up because <laughs> not. I can tell you right now, Brian can tell you this. I, I, I don't even have an Uber or Lyft app, but I've been in them, and I know you. Write, like the driver gets to rate the customer, and the customer gets to rate. To, even I know what that is. And so, what are like? What if they're like a spy? Oh, Constantine <laughs> with that big mouth. Well, I'm gonna show you. They do uh, secret shoppers. So Uber and Lyft both have people who work for the corporate uh, enterprise and they get in the car and they test you. Then they ask you stuff. The thing is, though, they're terrible at it. Wait, time out. Secret shoppers, you mean spies? Actual spies. Corporate spies. And their whole job is to get on the app and just ride around all day. They don't have anywhere to go. They just take... 10 and five and 10 minute trip and they just write it up and it's secret shopping. Um, that's what they do. How, but you, so have you ever had one in your car? Yep. I've had two. And, I've had one for Uber and one for Lyft. And you, you, um, how'd you know that they were a secret shopper? It's obvious. <laughs> did, did you ever confront them? Uh, no, but both of them told me after the ride, they said, okay, well, I was a secret shopper and you did really, really well. I want to commend you on the work that you do. And I talked to them about it. I said, well, what's going on um, at corporate? Cause you know, they work for the corporate enterprise, not, they're not a driver. And I say, is there a movement to, to get benefits? Are you organizing? Is there a labor movement with that? Uh, one of them did not want to talk to me about it. The one for Lyft, the guy, the guy from Uber was like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we don't get paid that well. So wait, time out. are the secret shoppers? And by the way, I'm just using the name because Constantine threw it out there. What a freaking <laughs> weird name. I am a secret shop. It's like not even real. It's like you're a spy. You're not a secret yeah. shopper. You're, yeah. you're a secret spy, which I mean. <laughs> all right. Well, so, but see, this is a thing that all these corporations do grocery store chains, restaurant change. They hire people to go out and test the workers as a spy. That is a known thing that happens in corporate America. It's been happening for decades. All right. So the question I had, I did not know. I was completely unaware. I'm learning new things all the time. So Constantine, the question I have for you are the secret shoppers. And again, I have that in quotes. Are the secret shoppers themselves gig economy workers or are they uh, paid employees of the corporation? With, oh, they're uh, paid employees. 
Oh, isn't that interesting? When it comes to the secret shopper, they get the health benefits. They get yeah. the nine to five guarantee. They oh, maybe- yeah. yeah. And, and here's what cracks me up. You know, for so many years, that secret shopper gig in other other companies and other um, um, industries was was usually just a stipend or a free meal at a restaurant or whatnot. But it has changed now these days to become a full time job where you are paid by the man to snitch um, <laughs> that is exactly what the job is oh my god it's gross it's just gross and so uh oh boy one of them actually shared his uh feelings of frustration with you uh when you yeah. confront so they told you like why would they by the way i don't understand that part of it i know we're really i'm really into this part of constantine you probably didn't realize when we had the conversation we spent so much time talking about secret shoppers but i'm really into it so why would he even bother why do they confess and admit it that's the part i don't get um they're not supposed to but I'm a very charming person (laughs) (laughs) and I'm very nice and I talk openly and honestly. And it's amazing how many people just tell me the most deepest, darkest secrets they have, especially when I've got them in my car and and they're allowed to open up. And, And I think it's just me personally. People like to tell me things that are beyond the scope of what they should be telling me because I, they know I keep things in confidence. Like I didn't tell you who the name of the person, I didn't tell you when or what date it was because I, you know, I value their confidence in me telling, telling these things. But um, a lot of the work that I do in organizing includes getting people to talk about their experiences. They're afraid of retribution. They're afraid of getting fired and being named and being blacklisted. So it's a very difficult job uh, to be an organizer because you have to put yourself in the position of people who are you know, living paycheck to paycheck and are actually afraid of their boss, right? That, that's the whole point of the power structure. They keep the workers afraid so that they don't rise up and challenge uh, uh, the bosses. I got to say this about Uber and Lyft, man. I'm just throwing this out there. Like you already have a check and a balance on your drivers. That's what the whole rating system is about. Yep. yep. I like it's not enough that you turn the drivers and the, the the passengers and the snitches. Then you got these guys, the secret shoppers. It's like yeah. what? What do you think the drivers are going to get away with? <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, because see, here's the thing: when this Prop 22 campaign was coming out, oh, here we go. Yes. they were worried that drivers were going to tell their riders what was going on, and they did something unprecedented in any election. I've ever seen or ever ever heard of. They were advertising on the app what they wanted you to hear. When you as a driver logged in every morning, there was a pop-up before you could start your day that said, hey, this is what's happening with Prop 22. Do you agree that drivers should maintain uh, flexibility and independence? And if you hit yes, then every rider who got in your car got an alert on their phone saying this driver agrees with Prop 22 and wants you to vote yes. Wow. It was scandalous. Wow, that's so like, man. Hey, I got it. Wow. I got to give him credit, man. That's some uh, sneaky lowdown stuff here in Illinois. I'll just be really brief with this. We had an initiative uh, in which the citizens of Illinois were asked to raise the tax rates on the wealthiest people in the state. Uh, And uh, so in order to uh, defeat that and undercut that, the the wealthiest people in the state uh, 
aired commercials in which they had this uh, older woman saying uh, they're going to tax retirement income, which they wouldn't going to do. But the point is, it worked. And a lot of people voted against their interest because of that campaign. Uh, and so if you can get, follow me where I'm going with this, Constantine, if you can get people who would benefit from either a fair tax or uh, a, a fair way of paying uh, Uber drivers, if you can get them to uh, articulate against their interest, to join the campaign against their interest, that, in my humble opinion, is the best way to defeat it. Because then everybody go, look, Billy Bob, the driver, says he doesn't want it. So why should I be for it if Billy Bob's against it? It's really hard, Constantine, if the Billy Bob's of the world, and I'm just making up that name, are against, uh, you know, treating Uber workers like full-time employees for you to get Uber to sign on, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And, and, you know, this country is notorious for allowing the people who are on the wrong side of an issue to just propagandize and lie and cheat all day long. Like, we have such a shroud of freedom of speech in this country that the people who are on the right side of the issue are always telling the truth, and so they're not allowed to deceive and corrupt their message like the other side is and they do it all the time i mean you know we talk about president trump and his thousands and thousands of lies he's one of millions of people in his camp who just do that non-stop and you have to spend your whole day combing through the lies and saying no that's not true no that's not true and you lose sight of the issue and it's such a it's such a diversionary tactic and it's gross and i wish i wish there was some like class that people could take in high school where they learn how to read through propaganda and how to check a facebook news source right like it's so gross what's happening in this country uh that's the last thing you're going to teach in any school uh and uh so, by the way, how would you, did you ever confront uh, other drivers who just say, hey, man, I'm with the boss on this one. So, forget yeah, you. Yeah, and we would go, so like, um, LAX is, you know, that's the biggest airport in Los Angeles. There is a waiting lot where if you're an Uber driver and you want to pick somebody up who just got in from a flight or a national flight, whatever it is, you have to go to this waiting lot and you've got line up in a queue and then you get a ping and then you go. And sometimes the wait there is anywhere from 20 minutes to almost an hour sometimes. So what you would do, you park in the lot, get out, stretch your legs and every other driver's doing that too. And so it was the one place in LA County where you had a bunch of drivers from all over in one location and you could talk and like exchange ideas with each other. And I spent a lot of time at the LAX lot talking to other drivers saying, well, what do you mean you want flexibility? That's the whole part of the job. You know, why would you ask for no benefits and lower pay just so you can get a paycheck at the end of the week? Just wait, do the two week thing that everyone normally does. Like there's, there's so many different weird little nuances to this law and people got caught up in it. And that's the thing that they would stick with. And, and they think, Oh, well, that's the one thing I want. So I'm going to vote against 99% of my best interests to get this one little thing that the boss told me he's going to give me. And I told him, I said, look, if we make a union, we can ask for all that stuff anyways. Who cares what the boss says? 
And that was a lot of the conversations I had with people, people who'd never been in a union, people who this is their first job. Like they just emigrated here. They're on a green card. They're, you know, resident visa. This is the only job they could get. Barely speak English. Don't speak English at all. We have a lot of uh, translators coming with us. So like, how do you get those people who are obviously the most taken advantage of in any industry across the country? How do you get those people activated and those groups of people fighting back against this corporate powerhouse? Mm -hmm. So, all right. So prop 22 was victorious and it won pretty decisively. Uh, And uh, so what will, what's the impact of that victory, that prop 22 victory on Uber and Lyft drivers? Now, every state in the country is looking at a Prop 22. That is what's happening right now. This was the testing ground. If they could, if they could throw enough money at it and run it to the, up the flagpole in California, in California, you know, the, 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 the market here, I mean, it was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Forget about Nebraska and, and Idaho and, and Iowa. I mean, they're going to they're gonna spend a million dollars and get this passed. I mean, the right to work laws were just the first step. Uh, Prop 22 is going to hit every single red state and most purple and blue states too. I mean, if they got California, what's to stop them from hitting New York next? I mean, that's, that's where it's going. And so what I'm trying to tell people is we need a federal legislative agenda to combat this labor law, because if we pass something federally, it'll override all of these little state laws. And, you know, there is no way to put a proposition on the ballot federally. Right. Yeah, uh, I was just laughing, thinking to myself when you said that if we have a federal law, uh, then you'll watch all the Republicans uh, in uh, in Congress say, "Are you kidding? This is federal. This is going f- giving far too much control to the federal government. Let the states have control." These are the same, by the way, Republicans who just about a month ago were saying we should override the decisions of all those states that uh, approved that certified Joe Biden as the winner. It's interesting; they'll just flip <laughs> over in a minute. Exactly. <laughs> But, you know, uh, one of the things we did uh, just in January, we flipped the Senate. We've got we've got the House, we've got the Senate, we've got the president. And every single one of these uh, uh, Democratic institutions came out in favor of, you know, AB5. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris both endorsed a no vote on Prop 22. So, like, we have very obvious and clear delineation on what the democratic party should be going for. There can't be any wavering on this. I don't need some Joe Manchin coming out of nowhere and saying, well, you know, we got to find a blah, 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 and filibuster this filibuster. No, just vote. I want to see 51, 50 votes every week in the Senate, getting stuff done, moving this legislation forward. It's so sad that we, we, we have the majority and we're sitting here like, oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> what is wrong with this country? Gosh. Constantine, you should have your own podcast. You are good. All right, wait a minute. So uh, one thing they couldn't do, the powers that be, is keep you from getting elected uh, councilman. Talk a little bit about that campaign. Was this, <laughs> was this your first run for office? My very first, oh, no, actually, I ran in 2017 uh, for the same seat. Uh, I didn't get it then. I, you know, I was very new. This is before I did any organizing with SEIU, with Mobile Workers Alliance, which is the Southern California group of, of gig economy drivers. Um, I was a founding member of Mobile Workers Alliance after I ran in 2017. So I figured out 
how to do stuff, how to talk to people, how to organize. That was the key component. You know, I could talk all day, but how do I turn that message into action? And that's really what I learned from the first time I ran in 2017 to the second time I ran in 2020. Um, one of the things that we pushed for in the city of Burbank was a rent control ordinance. And so I spent about a year before the election putting a rent control ordinance on the ballot. I did at the local level what Uber and Lyft did at the state level. So we collected signatures, we put something on the ballot. So by the time November rolled around, people had you know an option to vote for me and a rent control initiative for the city. And what it actually did was really split the vote. It really galvanized people who wanted housing justice and, and renter protections to show up and vote. And of course, when that happens, you get a much more progressive uh, uh, voter base uh, turning out and they vote in city council elections. And I, it, it's funny, the, the rent control initiative and myself, we both got pretty much almost the exact same amount of votes, 17,000 and change. And, um, you know, I ran against seven other people. So I was able to get the top seat in the city, city council election, but the rent control initiative was only a, a, a yes or no vote. So it mm. didn't get enough to pass. So the no votes were more than the yes votes. Um, but you know, it, yeah, it's strategy and it's planning and it's trying to get as much as you can. And you know, it failed. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens next with that. So Constantine, you're, uh, are you still driving uh, Uber or Lyft? Uh, no, I haven't driven since the pandemic. So I have, I have a little one at home. I have an eight year old. And uh, I don't need to be putting myself at uh, added risk. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of drivers that can't take the time off. It is really tough. Um, the payments are not coming in. The $600, the $2,000 doesn't even exist yet. I mean, it, it, it's tough. And so the, I, I've seen it. You know, the drivers are out there, two masks and a face shield and the windows down and uh, the plastic screen is up between the door. I mean, it's dangerous, man, but they're still out there and they're still driving and they got to work. So yeah. I feel for them. Uh, so in closing, what would your message be to people in Chicago uh, on the importance of recognizing gig employment, employee uh, economy, excuse me, gig economy employees as real workers uh, yeah who are eligible for benefits, what would your message be to Chicagoans? Well, I would say to Chicagoans, you know, I, I know that Chicago at its heart is a union town, right? And I know there's strong unions and union protections in the city, but if what happened in California can happen there, you gotta watch out. You gotta pay attention. Don't take anything for granted. Don't just rely on your local union. You've got to build coalitions, not just with labor unions, but with the working people and social, social justice activists. One of the biggest uh, um, partners I had, you know, working on um, my, my labor issues was the Black Lives Matter movement in Los Angeles. There is a real outcry to get black and brown workers better wages and better pay, especially if they don't speak the language. And there's no way other to uh, any other way to do that than to do the outreach. Tell your union, hey, I, I want you, you know, talk to your labor bosses to get, get in there and say, hey, I voted for you for membership. You're in charge. You're the president. You're the VP, whatever. Reach out to these social justice organizations. Get them involved. 
host an event for them, donate to their cause, get their members to support our agenda. We have to build these coalitions because that's all we got. We only have the people, right? These companies, they got the money and we have to fight that with people. All right. Very good. Constantine. Thanks so much for coming on our show. We're going to have you back. Uh, if nothing else, you'll be our, one of our correspondents in California. Every Chicago podcast needs one. Uh, tell us what's going on. Uh, but you're absolutely correct when you say that the strategy employed against proposition, uh, excuse me, against the workers of California for, for, for proposition 22 is a blueprint for what will be used in Chicago, in New York, elsewhere. Uh, and I think it's important for Democrats or lefties, whatever we are to wake up uh, and not allow it to happen. So Constantine, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Thank you so much. This is me coming in from the helicopter over the five freeway, uh, correspondent from Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, man. Constantine Anthony, I'm Ben Jarofsky. (laughs) Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Solidarity. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.